I botched that. <laughs> Editing. Okay. Take two. Here we go. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Walton's, Aluma Trailers, North Dakota Tourism, Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. Today, I'm joined by Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, Jay Brecky. Jay and I will discuss the effects that summer's hottest days can have on our dogs, keeping them healthy and ready for the upcoming season. And we'll walk through Jay's first aid field kit to help you plan for accidents that can happen this season while on the hunt. It's hot outside, and now you can ride the heat wave of summer with hot sales at Waltons.com. Right now, they're holding their biggest summer sale ever, and it features your favorite Waltons branded grinders, mixers, and vacuum sealers. All non-stuffer equipment is running between 20 and 35% off, and the Waltons branded chamberless vacuum bags are up to 40% off. If you want to keep your food fresh with their chambered vac sealer right now, it's $275 off. Yeah, you heard that right. So get a jump on processing season now and save big time with Walton's Summer Sale. It's hot. To order, head over to waltons.com today. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host, Brandon Morton, as always, is our producer. Brandon, do you think I need to change the intro of the show or do we keep it growing? I What's mean, I like it the way it is because I can have fun with it when you mess up. Yeah, I know. Well, dang it. So <laughs> now you, you're probably going to record now I botched the intro and, and you're going to put that in, aren't you? I mean, maybe segments. Who knows? Who knows? All right. All right. That's fine. That's fine. Well, um, are you are you staying cool? Have you been outside? Are you are you sitting in water up to your neck and having a computer up above? I've been doing pretty much all of the things. Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I've been trying to get outside. It's not so bad with the wind, um, but I have air conditioning, so I I come into that when I do get hot. So, yeah. How about yeah. yourself? Well, yeah, uh, you know, been in the water a lot. Uh, been. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I've got kids and we're constantly on the go and same with Daisy and I take her for, to swim quite often. I'm trying to keep her in game shape. She has this uh, large area in our yard and our neighbor loves her and requests that she be allowed to come over to his yard. So she has this trail that she runs and, you know, she's neurotic like a lot of German short hair pointers. And so she's got this trail just beat down and it's been so dry that I feel terrible that she runs through the neighbors and she makes a loop around a pine tree, comes back, makes a loop around another pine tree. And when the grass is growing, it's not a big deal because, you know, you're mowing it and it looks fine. But yep. right now it just looks like a horse trail. That, that grass is not coming back. It's that, not it's, it's coming back. It's gone for good now at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I guess, you know, I, I I feel like, it you know, with the heat and everything going on, there's, uh, well, we'll just bring Jay in right now. Jay Brecky is our guest. Jay owns two vet clinics in the Denver, Colorado area, and he's a dedicated upland bird hunter, just like the rest of us. Jay uh, was on our uh, podcast, maybe it was this spring. Jay, can you uh, refresh my, my mind? When were you on our show? <laughs> yeah, I think it was um, kind of sometime in March. There we go. Oh, that's that's awesome. 
Yeah, we covered a lot on that episode. A lot of questions. I heard from several listeners that uh, they were intrigued by some of your thoughts and you know medications, um, ticks, heartworm, things like that. We we got into that as well as some some other topics. So worth a listen if you haven't listened to that first episode. But Jay, I feel like we've got this itch right now, a lot of us, because we're counting the days down to get back in the field. And yet summer is just killing us right now. What's it, what's the temperature out in your area? Yeah. So we've been having 95, hundred degree days and, um, every once in a while we're lucky we get the afternoon thunderstorm, but it's, uh, it's not really, not really there like it used to be, but yeah, if we're going to work the dogs or I've been going early in the morning or between like eight and nine at night, just because they just get too hot. And so it's, it's warm here for sure. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, the, the timeliness of this conversation, obviously, um, hopefully I think a lot of our most bird dog owners are very cognizant or aware of conditions that they're putting their dogs in. But the fact is we're excited about the hunting season. We want our dogs to be in game shape. Um, but there are some things that we need to be aware of and should be aware of to keep our dogs healthy, um, you know, right off the top heat exhaustion comes to mind. Um, I think, you know, either heat stroke or heat exhaustion, those are, are they the same or how do you categorize those? Yeah, we pretty much categorize them the same. So, you know, in general, dogs temperatures are a lot higher than people. Um, there's different ranges based on who you talk to, but I kind of always see anywhere between 99 degrees and 102.5. Now, this time of year, we take temperatures every day when dogs come in and like big labs or even like Bernie's Mountain Dogs or Great Pyrenees. I mean, they come in at 104, 105, and that's actually healthy for them just because they're coming in from outside at, you know, 100 degrees. But um, to the point with that is that if you're out running your dogs or you're going to be going, you know, grouse hunting in September that you can see temperatures that seem very, very high to us because obviously we're a lot lower in body core temperature. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I always encourage people to have a thermometer and, and a rectal thermometer actually just because and, and show have your vet show you or get used to that just because if you're out hunting and you're concerned and you want to, you know, get a temperature on your dog and see what they're running or kind of get used to it just so you can kind of know is super helpful. Um, it's something that, you know, it's always should be in your first aid kit, but I mean, there's some reports and I've even seen it too, where like some of these hunting dogs will get to be, you know, 104 to 105 and a half and they're actually hanging in there. Okay. But anything over 105, 106 sounds really hot. That's, that's actually getting a little bit um, concerning for me. I don't really mess around with it too much. Um, but I mean, ideally um, you just have to pay attention to how your dogs are, are looking um, as far as how they're acting, are they, um, are they paying attention to you? Are they kind of dazed or seem confused? Um, are they wanting to drink water? Are they not? How big is their tongue? Um, so just really encourage folks to, um, kind of get to know their dog and, and get used to, um, taking a temperature on them. Cause that'll, that'll help a lot when you're out in the field. If you don't have, <clears throat> if you don't have a thermometer, 
what are the signs that you're looking for? You mentioned they're not paying attention, uh, the, the tongue, but sp- get specific if you can to what to look for. Yeah. So with not paying attention, I guess the re- better word for that would be disoriented. Um, okay. And then another thing you see too is weakness. Like they just stumble. They act like they're drunk. The medical term for that is ataxia. But um, like you'll see them, you know how like when you're at the end of a field, your dog's always trying to like lay down in the shadow of like your truck tire um, mm-hmm. or like underneath your truck. That's where they want to like lay. And you'll mm-hmm. see them kind of like stumble over to that or they'll, they'll, they'll sit down and they'll get up and they just seem like they're confused and kind of walking around. Um, I mean, there's some reports of seizures. I think by the time you're seeing a seizure, you got more issues, but weakness and just acting very confused and disoriented. And then also sometimes they vomit or have diarrhea, which could be another thing. But I think, you know, these dogs are so alert and so in tune with us that um, if you notice that they're blowing you off and there's really no reason for them to blow you off because you're just around the truck bed or the tail, or you're just stopping in the middle of the field and you're trying to give them water, then that's, uh, that's time to kind of get back to the truck and, and, uh, start treating. What can you do? Yeah. So I'm a big fan. When I was growing up doing a lot of, you know, I was a part of the, um, hunting retriever club and I was part of the Southern Colorado hunting retriever club. So we did lots of June, July, August hunt tests in Colorado, Nebraska, New Mexico, And so those are hot times of years. And we actually, um, I remember at a young age seeing a lot of us use um, old weed sprayers that you can fill with ice water and have in your truck. And some of those weed sprayers are small enough that you actually can put in like a big cooler. I like those weed sprayers because you can actually put just a nice mist kind of under the body and um, kind of get a nice nice diffuse kind of uh, wetness across them. You know, a lot of times you can dunk your dog and you're just wasting a bunch of water. But the weed sprayer seems nice because it's it's simple. You can do it in between in between fields and in between, you know, before you put them in the kennel. Cause I think the biggest mistake that a lot of people make, and I've even done it is that we sometimes don't let our dogs cool down. We're so eager to get to the next field or keep moving. Our buddies are hopping in their truck and they're going, but you don't want to put a hot dog in a box because that's just asking them, you know, that's just like you go run a race and then you got to go sit in a sauna for 10 minutes. This is not, not going to happen. So let your dogs truly cool down. Mm. and uh, just don't rush anything. But I like the weed sprayer with ice water. That seems nice. I know some some people carry um, like 70% isopropyl alcohol that you can buy at the store, and they'll put it in a little mister, and they'll spray their armpits and their, their belly or their paws because dogs, dogs don't sweat, but they do out of their paws or just the, the what we call their belly or their ventral abdomen kind of underneath them is where they release a lot of heat. And so you can use that alcohol bottle there, or you can um, uh, use that ice water sprayer there. So there, there's some controversy out there about um, ice packs. I think the key takeaway that with there is that if you're going to use ice packs, just remember that yes, they'll cool down the body, but the, the key with, when dogs are trying to release all this heat, all their blood vessels get really big called vasodilation. So they're just very, very large blood vessels so that more heat can get out quicker. Now, if you then put an ice pack directly to like the dog's armpit or their groin and you think you're cooling them down, you actually might be causing those big blood vessels to actually constrict down and then they won't release as much heat. 
And so there's some controversy behind that. And I'm actually not a big fan of doing that because I do think that it slows down the natural process of the body trying to cool off. And, you know, personally, like if you're ever hot, I mean, it's sometimes better to use like a mist or a weed sprayer than putting an ice pack on your armpit. It's the same kind of thing. I just don't think it's that not a big fan. of I I think it does cause too many um, what we call vasoconstriction, which is defeating the whole purpose of what the the dog's body is trying to do. So that's why I'm a big fan of like the misters and the alcohol bottles and really cooling down their feet. Or obviously, I mean, I, I forgot about, Heck, if you got a creek by or a river and you want to swim them, that's fine. Just keep in mind that you want the water to be cooler than outside because otherwise you're just putting them into a hot tub and that's not ideal. So my dog, um, I've got this little kiddie pool in our backyard and she likes to run and I want her to run. I I love that she gets all of this. I don't know how many miles. One day I should probably put the collar on her and track, just see how many miles she runs between my yard and my neighbor's yard because she just goes and goes and goes, runs a perimeter, runs runs this path. But I, I fill this pool up with cool water and she just goes all day long. As long as there's cool water in there, she comes back, she lays down in it, she drinks it, and then she goes back to running again. I I assume that's okay to do because she's not, I'm not pushing her at all. She's just running at her own pace. And if she doesn't have cool water, then she doesn't run. She just lays down oh, in the shade or just sits down and, and watches for the potential birds and squirrels to come in the yard. Um, is that okay to do? Yeah, absolutely. So, and, you know, you, you bring up a good point there. You're letting her go at her own pace. You know, I mean, I think, you know, I know some field trial, trial guys that will road their dogs or whatever, and they don't, they can't really tell you that they want to stop. You just keep going and the breeze might feel good when you're on your four wheeler, but the dog can't tell you. And so letting them go at their own pace like that is the the key. And, you know, the, the pool water's fine, even though it might, since it's so shallow and that plastic, it might heat up quicker. I still think it's going to help, especially if there's a breeze coming by, then you, you're, you're, all that, that heat and that temperature actually is, is coming off of her. So yeah, that's the key is you really got to pay attention to them and let them tell you what, the, when they're hot. So. And um, we'll stick on this water. Cause there's a couple of directions I want to go with it. First is if you swim your dog, do you want to, I mean, you don't want to put them right in the crate and close them up completely soaking wet because there can be some risk there as well. Right. Um, as far as like a, a completely wet dog, putting them in a kennel after they're hot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you, you, you basically, you just need a little bit of a breeze to, cause otherwise you're just going to create a very humid environment when they start to, um, I mean, they're still producing a lot of heat and they're going to heat up their, their wet fur and then basically just create a big heat and heat hot box basically. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that goes back to, you know, hoping that there's a breeze or just, getting them wet, um, cooling them off, and then just letting them kind of relax on their own, letting them be in, you know, with a nice breeze outside and not in a confined environment. So, Um, If somebody sees the the signs that you just mentioned about the dog being, you know, obviously something isn't right, um, what what should they do if once they've sprayed them down with some cool water – to miss them. Um, but then what are the next steps? I mean, is it straight to the vet or can you say this dog will come out of it? Okay. On their own. Yeah, no, it's a good question. So 
if you if you notice that they're actually pretty bad and say that you have your first aid kit and you grab your thermometer and you check it and it's like 108 and you already see them kind of have that glazed appearance and they're not paying attention to you. They're acting like they can't see and hear you. Um, one thing I always encourage people to have too is a kind of thinner, like, a thin like beach towel or like bath towel because most of us will have a big cooler full of ice drinks and ice. And so what we do here at the clinic is when we see that when dogs come in, we just don't start soaking them with water when they're that advanced. We actually will put um, a wet towel over them and actually start to um, soak them down with a wet towel covering them. And what that does is it still takes down their temperature, but as we're um, watching their temperature drop, once it gets to about 103, 103 and a half, then we take that towel off of them and then they'll kind of stay at that 103, 10, high 102s, and they won't drop then to hypothermic. Because I've seen people where they'll completely like dunk their dogs or put ice water on them. And, you know, they'll lose their temperature pretty quick when they're at that, that high of a, a Fahrenheit. And then we can actually drop them into hypothermic state. And that, that can be, then you're, then you're playing a different ball game there. And so um, if you do notice them getting that bad and you have that degree of like ice water or your cooler is full, just keep mm-hmm. in mind that you, you want to have a, 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 temp, a thermometer in handy to watch that. Once you get to that 103, 103, then, then call it and then you should be fine. But I always recommend heading into the vet. And the reason why is that after dogs become hyperthermic, um, you get a lot of cell destruction, you know, just normal cells throughout the body, muscle cells, um, uh, red blood cells. I mean, a lot of these cells kind of just burst or, or they rupture. And that that can do is that can be that can cause a lot of um, toxicities and kidney issues, liver issues, um, heck, even sometimes some random autoimmune problems. But the biggest thing is is kidneys. I mean, like when I was in vet school, we did some projects on, we were working on elk and we'd have to go out and trap them and we had to vaccinate them and draw their blood and stuff. And these elk would just take themselves to a whole other degree of stress and they're panting and sweating and they get a condition called rhabdomyolysis, which is basically their muscle cells break down at such rapid rates. And dogs can get this too, to where the kidneys just get overloaded with too much metabol- metabolites or too much byproduct of, of uh, muscle cells and red blood cells and proteins in the body to where you can cause then kidney damage. So then that one day of sharp tail hunting and Eastern Montana can turn into your two-year-old dog has kidney disease the rest of its life. So that's why when you get to a vet and they want to say, Hey, we're going to put Daisy on IV fluids and, and keep her for a couple of days to flush out her kidneys and kind of diarrhea. Or you say, absolutely. Cause that's the importance of that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of why I do encourage getting to a vet once you do see that, cause you do not want to, don't want to play around with the, potential damage of, of the kidneys or any other organs in the body. Is there any way to know if you've avoided long-term damage? Just routine blood work. You know, nowadays as veterinarians, we have lots of good blood tests and urinalysis markers that we can tell if your dog's having or going to have kidney disease. Um, and then sometimes like ultrasound the vet can do, but as far as what, you know, you out in the field or drive, you know, say you have an hour long drive to the vet. Once you've got your dog cooled down, Mm -hmm. there's no way for you to know until they get 
um, blood drawn and have an analysis of that. Gotcha. Well, um, we, we were talking about water a, a couple minutes ago, and another very important topic is blue-green algae. Yeah. And this is the time of the year when a lot of waters become dangerous, and it might be a swamp, a slough, a creek, or creek, depending on where you live, uh, or a lake. Uh, what What do you know about blue-green algae? How do you spot it, and what should dog owners do? think about when it comes to that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so blue green algae, believe it or not, it's actually not an algae. Um, it's actually a bacteria. Uh, and I think it's called, it's like called like cyanobacteria or something like that, but it's actually not an algae, but it's, it's when we see it, it gives off an appearance of like a blue, a bluish green appearance in very shallow water. And it's usually late summer and fall when, we have the waters, the water of most lakes and streams or whatever drop, and then the temperatures go through the roof. And so that's a perfect environment along the edges of a lot of these um, water sources that can create this bacteria. Is that and, caused? Um, is that caused by plants decaying in the water? Yeah, They're pretty much in sunlight. Off. Yeah, it's just kind of a big natural ecosystem. So, um, but yeah, no, I, I guess I actually don't know like the. I just know that it's, you know, it happens with, you know, you have phosphorus, nitrogen, and then you have hot temperatures and water. And so then that, mm-hmm. that's what forms. So, yeah. Can you always see it if it's present? I don't think so. There's times where, you know, a lot of times your local health department will report it before anything. I know here in Colorado, along around the Denver area, we, we hear about it every year. And it's always right now into August and you know, I'm, I'm near the South Platte River and a little reservoir called Chatfield Reservoir, and they've had some outbreaks of it. And I see maybe one or two dogs a year, but it's it's kind of hard to diagnose. It's usually diagnosed by the owner saying, this is what I was doing. And then within 30 minutes to a couple hours, the dog is acting like they are having same kind of thing, weakness, disorient. I mean, it can, it can show up just like uh, your heat exhaustion. But the problem with blue-green algae is that it's it's fatal. I mean, if it can cause seizures or breathing difficulties or I mean, it's it's toxic to the neurologic system, which can just create a whole bunch of issues. And then also the liver. Um, the liver is a big component of that. And so blue-green algae is, is, is pretty tr- – and the, the treatment is a lot like um, what I was just saying with heat exhaustion is – IV fluids and getting to your vet and just kind of supportive care because you know, a lot of times when dogs could eat or congest or ingest some type of toxin, you can uh, you can use activated charcoal or some type of decamp um, contamination type of um, method. You know, you can dilute them basically. You know, the the solution or the the solution to dilution is. To, Salute pollution is the, the treatment to pollution to pollution. There you go. Yes, <laughs> is uh, dilution. So a lot of times that's why you need you know IV fluids. But sometimes these dogs are so bad that you can't even give them anything because they're they can't breathe, they can't swallow, and so they're in pretty rough shape there. So you know, there's times where I take my dogs out all the time and I, I get close to water sources and looking around. Luckily my older German short hair, she hates water. So I don't worry about that, but I got a new puppy that 
she's all about it. And so I have to watch out for that right now. Well, that's, I mean, as somebody that my dog, she loves water and I take her to the lake all the time. And I, in my mind, I think I'll see it. You know, I think a lot of people think, well, the algae is that green muck that grows on the surface. That's what you're looking for. But you're saying that you can't always see it. And that's probably the thing that scares me because I've heard that other people say that before too. You you might not know that it's there until it's too late. So then in the back of your mind, you're always thinking about it. Is that a safe spot for her to... Basically, she ha- your dog would have to drink it, right? Not just jump in. Mostly it's drinking, but there, if you, yeah, there's some reports though that it can get through like, you know, their eyes or their nose or, I mean, they, they encourage, like when they come in, like we, we treat them, but we also like give them a bath too. Cause that's just kind of part of the treatment process. And so there is some fear that it can get into like open sores or the eyes or the mouth. And so, but mostly they, they have to drink a lot, drink a lot of it. Yeah. So do you, I mean, swimming is a great way to keep your dog in shape and get them ready for the season if your dog likes water. So then with this in mind, what's your advice? Yeah. So I, I mean, this is the way I look at it. You know, growing up in the nineties, we had hunting dogs and labs and we were doing dog trials and stuff. We never worried about this. And now all of a sudden it's something that, you know, everybody thinks about now. Now, was it around then? Absolutely. Could it have happened and we just didn't know? Probably. And so for me right now, what I always just try to do is just find the deeper areas where I know that the sunlight to organic material was probably not going to be as strong compared to the shallow parts. And so if you're going to a reservoir and you have the option to go near the inlet where it's a lot more shallow and more vegetation, I would go more closer to the dam where there's lots more drop-offs and kind of deeper areas where your dog can swim. Um, I think that's the way to you know play it safe. But I think for the most part that, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of invisible things out there, um, viruses and bacteria. But I would say, though, that with this one, that if you do see that type of blue-green tinge in, in water, that that should just be a sign you should just stay away from that area. But if you don't, Yes, it could be there, but I still would probably just say, hey, I'm, uh, you know, you, you can still take your chances if you want, because otherwise you're going to be having a hunting dog that you're avoiding water for, you know, three months out of the year, which is, you know, it's, it's debatable on that, I would say, but uh, to play it safe, just find deeper water. Maybe we can, uh, yeah, I, I think I understand what you're saying. Um, but I think if we look at how many cases do you see a year that might calm some yeah, people uh, down yeah i mean and you're talking a lot of dogs in your area and a lot of swimming that happens so the the chances are low i mean we hear about it every year we'll hear about it again this year i'm positive we're getting into that time of the year but when you think about the chances i mean it's a less than one percent right exactly yep gotcha the flush so fast it hardly seems real So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we change the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, 
fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. There's another um, disease that you, you brought to my attention. It's called leptospirosis, right? Or lepto. Yeah. What do you, yeah. what is that? Yeah. So lepto is a, um, we call it lepto. If you ever hear your vet talk about the lepto vaccine, it's actually called leptospirosis. So it's a bacteria that is, comes from the urine of lots of wildlife, specifically like rodents, uh, mice, rats, raccoons are really bad. Um, and it's a type of bacteria that can live in the environment once excreted from urine of wildlife for months to some reports, even up to a year. And it likes to live and stay in like standing water or puddles or just water in general. Um, and so it's, it's a very common bug that to talk about, you know, how many we see a year, I'd say five, the emergency clinics around here probably see 30 to 50. So I'd say it's a little bit more common, but hunting dogs are more prone to exposure just because of where we're at and where wildlife are. Um, but it's a bacteria that will get through open sores, the mouth, they'll drink it. Same kind of thing as blue green algae. And then it has an affinity and is pretty toxic to the, uh, the liver and the, the kidneys. Um, it also can cause, you know, red, it can cause hemorrhaging or ble bleeding abnormalities. Um, I think, you know, I, I see about, five cases a year that they're usually more kidney related. And the first thing that we see is the dogs are drinking and peeing like crazy to the point where they're having accidents in the house. And that's why clients come in. And then usually on exam, we can see that they're jaundice or they're ictric, you know, their liver starting to have issues. And so we'll actually see the eyes, their sclera, their, well, their white around their eyes will be yellow or their gums will be yellow. And so, um, that's, that's lepto. Lepto can be um, pretty bad about the, um, the kidneys and the liver, which, again, causes long-term issues. Now, it is treatable with um, antibiotics and IV fluids, and you can get to your vet. And so that's a plus, but you can see long-term issues. But more importantly, too, you can also um, – it can be transferred to people. And so one of the things that we um, – as veterinarians have issues with is we have to be very careful when we see cases like this and wear gloves. So, um, yeah, that's, it's a, it's a pretty dangerous disease when it comes to liver and kidneys. And that's all over the country. It's not by region. Yeah, no, good question. So it, uh, it actually is really big in like Michigan, kind of your neck of the woods, Midwest, Colorado. It's big. Now we've had some outbreaks five or six years ago. It was really big in Arizona. Arizona had a big outbreak. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of my friends 
practices outside of Flagstaff and uh, he never really had to vaccinate for it before. And so he was trying to buy vaccines and, and get ready for it. But they had a big outbreak, I think in like 2016 in Arizona. So it's unfortunately kind of going everywhere now, but Midwest is big. Um, and then, yeah, I'd say uh, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, uh, Iowa. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of the, um, where it likes to be. Um, <clears throat> so there's a vaccine out there for it. There is. Yeah. And it's a, I like the vaccine when it first came out, it had a lot of what we call vaccine reactions, just like every vaccine does. It first comes out where, you know, you give the vaccine and whether or not it was a coincidence or the dog had a reaction, they would act basically act like they got stung by a bee or have swelling or vomiting. But nowadays these vaccines are very, very, uh, very safe and their efficacy is wonderful. Now there's a lot of different strains out there. Um, I mean, when I used to work in livestock, the leptospirosis would cause reproductive issues in cows and abortion issues. And so it'd be hard for dairy and farm producers to keep pregnant cows if they had leptospirosis outbreaks, but that was a different strain than what we have with dogs. So the vaccine that we give for dogs carries four of the strains. I think there's like 12 or something like that, but it's the four most common. So a lot of people say, Oh, I don't want to do that vaccine. It only covers a third or of, uh, or a fourth of the actual strains. Well, they're the most common and believe it or not, like most dogs that are vaccinated, we don't see this with. So it's actually, it's, it's pretty, it's a good vaccine. I'm a big fan of it. So ask your vet if what they think of the 100%. lepto, lepto yep. vaccine. So yep. this is an interesting, um, you know, we're kind of on this similar topic here. But I, last weekend, I was at a cabin uh, that we grouse hunt at and deer hunt with my buddy. And we were talking about ticks. And, um, you know, because my kids were with and there are ticks all over in the woods or in the grass. Every time we'd go outside, when we'd come in, I would do a tick check and I would do tick check on Daisy as well. She would run around. Um, and I, you know, I was telling him, well, she, she's on a tick medication, uh, you know, and he asked the question, he goes, if you can give your dog a medication that keeps ticks off of it, why don't we have that for humans? It's like, I, I don't know. Is it because (laughs) we don't like, we value a human life more than a dog's life. So we're willing to put something in their body that we wouldn't put in a human's body or is there something else to it? Can you speak to that at all? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's funny you bring that up because you know, our, we have property in Northwest Kansas and just in the last few years, we've done a lot of work with pheasants forever and local farmers. And we're just basically replanting for a lot of habitat. And I remember last summer we had a, a guy that was going to come do um, uh, weed spray by a plane. And he was standing there and we were all picking text ticks off of ourselves and, and frustrated about it. And he showed us some product that he bought at like the local uh, hardware store, tractor supply, which is basically just these kind of, these, I think I talked about the last podcast, these like wet wipes that are, have, um, different, um, repellents in it for ticks. And you basically just wipe yourself down every day with it. Now the safety of that, I don't know. I mean, 
who knows if it's like a sunscreen or if it's more harmful to us that we'll know about in 30 years. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I actually started doing that, um, whenever we go turkey hunting in the spring and it actually works pretty well. I mean, you can, I get, you can get these tick wipes at like, uh, tractor supply or, you know, local kind of ranch. Do you put, it, do you put it on your skin though, or do you wipe your clothes? Uh, it's supposed to be just more clothes, but I, I do it skin just cause I don't want to get ticks all over me. <laughs> well, that's where the question comes in. What's safe? Like what, you know, and, and I give Daisy, she takes a pill once a month, you know, and I think, you know, my buddy, Matt, his question is, why can't I take a pill that, yeah. you, know, you know, basically the dicks wouldn't want to be on me when they latch on. Yeah. And I was like, I really don't have an answer for you. I, yeah. that's a great question. Why isn't that an option out there? And there's gotta be a reason why there has to be, otherwise yeah. everybody would take it. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. So in August I have my annual dermatology checkup. I'm going to ask them for you and I'll, I'll get back to you on there that. There you go. There I, you I go. I think that'll be a good one. I'll say, you know, when he's checking all the moles, I'll say, what can I do for ticks that's safe? And I'll see what he says and I'll email you. Cause I think that's a good, good question. Cause after our last podcast, I had a veterinarian in Arizona contact me when we talked about these oral flea and tick medications. And he said that he's had a lot of luck when his vet recommended, you know, you have the different oral chews such as uh, Nexgard, Provecto, mm-hmm. Cordelio, Semperica Trio, Semperica. And then he said that he also uses a new one that's called Provecta Advanced with one of the chewables. And I actually really like that. And I was glad that we had another podcast so I can help people with, you know, just kind of two, two, mo- two modalities, two ways to treat ticks and fleas by giving them an oral chew so that when they metabolize that, that drug or chemical has an affinity for the skin and the fat within the skin so that if a tick or flea bites, it'll get the toxin and die. But these topicals, like especially like Provecta, um, mm-hmm. it's called Provecta Advance. I encourage people to ask their vet about it, P-R-O-V-E-C-T-A. It's kind of like the old frontline Advantix. Anyway, those ones are kind of, they're just not as, um, they're not as good anymore. And so this one actually you do it with an oral chew and then that's going to be your best bet as far as, uh, and it's one that you give on the skin as well to kind of repel. And I think it even repels mosquitoes, which is then crucial for people that are in areas where heartworms at. And so, and I think another thing too, that I wanted to touch on that, you know, I think last time I spoke about heart guard and all that stuff, I'm not in heart guards, not bad. Um, it does the job, but one of the reasons that, that product I talked about before called Semperica Trio, Trio mm-hmm. is so good is that because it covers heartworm, intestinal parasites, and fleas and ticks, because you, because here, like say, for example, here in Colorado, we see, uh, we can see worms year round. And so that's why a lot of our clients give it year round is for the intestinal worm part. And we do unfortunately see some heartworm. But if you give it year round like that, and even though you don't see fleas and ticks in December, but you still give it during the December, January, February months, it's been proven that when the ticks and flea season comes in April and May, and you've been giving it year round, it's 10 times more deadly. And it's been proven that it's a lot stronger because it's been built up in the season compared to, you know, you're going to go. Uh, you're going to go out in April and you give them a pill April 1st and they get a tick on them on the 10th. It's not going to be as, um, 
strong compared to if you did it year round. And I think that was a lot of mistakes that a lot of us made was that we would kind of spot treat or we would see fleas and ticks, then we would give it to them or we would just give it you know, just for the summer months. Mm-hmm. And then that's one of the things I think we've all heard of that product called Brevecto, which is an oral chew for flea and tick. And that mm-hmm. one you give and it lasts for three months compared to the, all the other ones that last for one month. And that's from, I believe, Merck. And Merck, they're the ones that prove, that prove that because our product lasts for three months, that if a tick tries to you know, bite a dog that's on Brevecto, that it's, you know, it's a lot stronger and it's, it's more built up in the system. That it's, got a, it's got a higher kill rate. Um, and so when they do these studies in the labs, they found that that product or the ones that you keep them on year round are... Um, they're, they're better period. So I think that's important because how many of us really do that during the winter? Not really. But if we know that every April and May, our dogs are going to get fleas and ticks or you guys are in, you know, Minnesota cabins in July and there's those type of bugs are around and you have it on them more, it's going to be better. So I think that's an important thing that people should consider. Um, so after our conversation, I talked to my vet, and is in this exact topic. <clears throat> and I, I explained the conversation that you and I had. And I said, can you tell me about the Symperic, right? That's how you pronounce it, Symperic yeah. Trio. Yeah. And she said that um, there, she had some concern about the potential side effects of that medication and therefore hasn't been recommending it. Now, maybe that's something that was a long time ago. I don't know. Um, but that's kind of what her recommendation was, that she's not had side effects with the next guard, uh, heart guard uh, medications. And so then, it, it, you know, it, like in my mind, I want to believe everybody, you know, right. I want to believe everything because that's just my my way of life is I just like to trust people. Um, how do you know as a dog owner, um, you know, when you go to a vet, you, there's a lot of opinions out there and your schooling and your information that you're getting, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that the next person is going to have that same information or that same opinion, right? I mean, there's a lot yeah. of them out there. Yeah. So what's funny about that is I've actually, I was always on the assumption and, and, that it was opposite that the next guard was more side effects than this. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah. Stuff. How does anybody you know? What, know? So, here's what I'm gonna do because <laughs> when you look at all those different studies, you know, all these pharmaceutical companies are kind of the same way where they'll do their different studies and you have to look at the population sample and how, you know, did they do a hundred dogs? Did they do 25? Did they, you know, all that kind of stuff. So we can truly see, um, accurate percentage of, of side effects. And so I'll, I'm actually going to look into that for you just because I go back and forth about that. I mean, when I, I mean, five years ago on my shelf was all next guard. And then I went to Credelio, which is by, um, um, a different company. And then I, now I'm on Superica trio and it's all based on efficacy and, and safety. And, mm-hmm. you know, not only do I, you know, talk and we have lunches with our reps and stuff. But I, I do a lot of research and listen to other veterinary podcasts and, you know, I get the veterinary journals every month. And so um, let me see if I can find a little bit more of an accurate study on that. But from my last 
research and knowledge on that, that the Credelio and the Simperica Trio were actually one of the safer ones compared to the Next Guard and the Brovecto. Um, and usually the side effects are linked towards more like seizure activity or dogs that are prone to have seizures that can have issues. But also these all have like beef flavoring. Some of them have chicken flavoring. And so they might not have a reaction to the actual medication, but the flavoring. And so um, that's another thing that, you know, I could, I'm going to look into because things change all the time. And now that, you know, maybe Semperic Trio is becoming more popular, are we giving, are we getting a bigger population sample? Probably. I, you know, I think that I know that just recently there's some reports that came out or, you know, there's always bad, you know, bad rep on online with different products, but sure. I pers- sure. personally have had pretty good luck with it. And so, um, but I'm going to look into that just to see which one's the, truly the safer one and, and, See if I can get you a good answer on that. Oh, I appreciate that. We did have a lot of questions come in. I had yeah. several people reach out to me after you mentioned that. Between my my friends, it started getting us to question and start thinking more about uh, options. I mean, the Semperica Trio is quite a bit cheaper too than the uh, Next Guard, Hard Guard. You know, putting those two together. Yeah. Um, so you know then. We started doing more research on it too. And there's a lot of opinions out there. <laughs> My goodness. There is, that's, that's why they call it practicing veterinary medicine. So we're all, there's a lot of us that disagree and agree. And uh, it's, it's, I get humbled every single day. It's, there's always new stuff and things are changing. And um, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's practicing for sure. So um, how often do you recommend people bring their dogs to a vet? Oh yeah. Every year. Cause you'd be amazed at what we can find. Like we find, you know, broken tooth or a new heart murmur or on in blood work. You know, I'm a, I'm a big preventative kind of guy, especially with these hunting dogs. Like they just, I mean, all dogs are great, but these dogs are, there's a special connection with, you know, not only our, our dog, but our athlete. And they go on these trips with us and they, you know, and they're in all the extremes of the weathers and they, they celebrate with us when we get these birds and everything. And so, Blood work is pretty important just every year to make sure you're not missing anything. So like one of the statistics I like to tell people is that dogs under the age of seven, one out of six on their annual blood work will have something to address or be concerned about. Hmm. Dogs over the age of seven will have one out of three. And I always tell people that's kind of a way, you know, these, these hunting dogs are pretty tough and they will not show a lot of things until it's too late. So if you go in for your vaccines and they run some simple blood work, it's a good way for your dog to communicate with us on how they're feeling or if anything's going on. So, cause nowadays you can intervene and, you know, I don't want to turn every dog into a pill pocket with all sorts of different drugs and medications, but there's different things you can do and change diet and just be aware of certain things. So a lot of the judgment or not judgment, but like how people can tell how their dog is doing is what, how they're eating and pooping basically. Right. Yep. I mean, those are, those are obvious giveaways. If they're not hungry, there's something going on. If they're not, not pooping yep. right, something's <laughs> yep. going on. Beyond that, is there any other signs that people should look out for to make sure their dog is healthy? Yeah. Their energy level is a big one. Um, and you know, energy levels, the biggest one when people start to see them slowing down or they just act different, you know, they're not barking when people come to the door or, they're not excited at six in the morning anymore. They're getting up at seven or you notice that 
they might, their gum color might be more pale than pink. Um, the, eating is the biggest thing, bowel movements and other, also water consumption. Like some people think that their dog drinks a lot of water and it's a good thing. And not really. <laughs> if there's dogs that are drinking abnormal amounts of water, I mean, A, that could be lepto that we just talked about. That also mm-hmm. could be kidney disease, diabetes, different types of cancer. So when dogs actually drink lots and lots of water and their urine is very, very, very dilute, it's not always good. And people, that's good, but not in dogs. So I was just on the phone late with a lady this morning with the same kind of thing where even though you think your dog is well hydrated, it's it's drinking too much for a reason and it needs to be seen. So uh, water consumption is big. So, I mean, if you're filling up the bowl over and over and over again, especially with an older, older animal, then that's... Yeah, I'd I'd call your vet on that one. You'd be you'd be surprised. Uh, you mentioned the color of the pee, and um, in humans, if it's clear, that means you're hydrated. If it's yellow, yep. that means you're not. Well, my dog, it's always like I look at it sometimes, and I think, my goodness, are you just dehydrated all the time? Yeah. I mean, because it yeah. looks like that, but, but that's what you want, right? Yeah, unless you're out, you know, actually training or hunting and you know at that point that's okay for them to drink water and have more dilute urine but if it's just around mm-hmm. the house and stuff you do want it to be a little bit more of a yellow um darker color what should people be thinking about right now with hunting season uh depending on where you live a month and a half away two months away um things that people should be planning or doing now to help their dog when season gets here. Yeah. So I would say get into your vet for the preseason tune up and take a, take like a little bag in and start seeing if you can get some uh, first aid supplies. Um, so I think going into the vet just for preseason tune up as far as maybe having some run some blood work, get update on vaccines, make sure you're covered on your flea and tick prevention, heart check, health check, um, make sure that you get, a skin stapler, see if you can see if your vet will give you just some basic, you know, antibiotics, some anti-inflammatories. Like we all hear about Rimadil. Make sure you have some Benadryl in the bag, which is usually one milligram per pound of okay. for bee, bee sting, stuff like that. Um, probiotic so you, give, you do do Benadryl for a bee sting in a dog? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think last time we talked about it in rattlesnakes and I think yeah, yeah. after you spoke about that and I did some research on it, because I was confused on why some vets would say, oh, don't do, do that. And what I found was that the people that said, oh, my dog got bit by a rattlesnake, I gave Benadryl. Well, that's all they did. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't go to a vet or do anything else. And so the point is, is you can give Benadryl, but then you need to get to a vet. And so from the articles I found that it's not bad or negative if your dog gets bit by a rattlesnake. It's just that that's not all, the only thing you need to do. You need to give, you know, give Benadryl or not and ice the wound, get to your vet for treatment. Um, but just in general, bee stings, um, spider stings, uh, Benadryl, one milligram per pound. It's, I've used it a lot and I use it every day at work and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. So, and honestly, if you really look at the, the medicine of it, Benadryl is a great medication. Like if anything, don't use it in cats, but obviously we're not worried about cats here, but you don't use Benadryl in cats. Um, not good, but in dogs have at it. I don't see any reason not to. Hmm. That's interesting. 
Hunting season is just around the corner, and that means it's time to start planning. If you're looking for a great bird hunting destination this fall, then I strongly recommend that you consider one of my favorite places to hunt. That's North Dakota. North Dakota is a bird hunter's paradise. You can hunt both waterfowl and upland birds all in the same day. And North Dakota has approximately 700,000 acres of private land open to public walk-in hunting. This year, North Dakota has a population estimate of 3.4 million breeding ducks, which is 38% above the long-term average, and their prey pothole region is smack dab in the middle of the central flyway. Their spring water index also came way up, over 600% from last year's drought. Habitat on the landscape looks great, and I'm hearing reports of a strong hatch from their upland birds. With a little scouting, you just might find yourself in a field surrounded by wild flushing pheasants, sharp-tailed grouse, and Hungarian partridge. Start planning your fall hunt in North Dakota at legendarynd.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything I need to know about the lands that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. The app also shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state land or federal lands or walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during the hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. And there's a timber cut layer to help you find the right forest habitat for rough grouse. If you hunt in North Dakota, there's even a layer that lets you know if a property has been posted electronically. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx apps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx maps always help you to know where you stand. Are there some dogs, uh, I do want to get back to the first aid topic in a second, but are there some dogs that are just like really dramatic? <laughs> because oh, yeah. I feel like my dog is so dramatic. She's over the top sometimes when she's, when she's got, um, I mean, there's a couple of reasons why when, you know, when we're in hunting situation, the level of, um, you know, like she's focused on birds and everything else. Uh, she's distracted. You know, I have to go higher in, you know, the, um, the number on the collar to get her attention. She doesn't think about it. And, and she's like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. And yeah. then all of a sudden, if I do half of that, she's like, oh, and people think I'm <laughs> lighting her up. I'm like, no, it's a two, you know, like she just has these times where she's just so dramatic, but she got bit or stung by a bee one time. And you would swear somebody ran over her leg with a car. Yep. Like she couldn't put pressure on it. She was just hobbling around. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, and yep. I didn't even think about Benadryl at the time, but eventually, you know, she just got over it. But it was the most ridiculous. My wife was like, wow, she is as dramatic as you are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, and there's other yep. dogs that probably be like, yeah, whatever. I'm just going to keep going. But 
so it is possible to have a dog that's just overly dramatic. Yeah, it's I think just like with people, everybody has a different pain tolerance. And so like I I mean, like put it this way, like when pit bulls come in, like when I see a lot of pit bulls, like I've never they're they're tougher than than I mean they're they do not show any pain. They're tough dogs, those pit bulls are. And so um and then other dogs like some of these doodles that we see and like even great Danes, they can just be big babies sometimes. <laughs> and so you just never know, but, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I think some dogs are very dramatic and others aren't. And I don't, don't we don't know why. <laughs> okay. Back to first aid. Maybe they uh, are like their owner. <laughs> well, yeah. Dogs are like their owners in a lot of ways. Yeah. Everyone, sometimes they even look like their owners. There's yeah. all kinds of photos on the internet of like a dog next to the owner. It's hilarious. They all look identical. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so, okay. Daisy and I are both dramatic. That's fine. Now we all know that, uh, back to first aid. Um, what do you have in your kit? You, you touched on a couple things, a stapler, um, you know, Benadryl, but can you go through what you bring into the field and what's realistic for an average hunter that doesn't have instant access to all the medication and supplies that you do? Yeah. So it's pretty, I always tell people to keep it pretty simple just because, um, you'd be amazed at what, you know, what you can do. Um, and I always encourage people to do as much as you can, just cause you are most likely going to be in areas where vets are far away or the closest vet is not answering their phone or only works on cows and, you know, we see it all. And so, um, bandage scissors is big with pliers or like a Leatherman and then different types of bandage material, which I can get into all the details on that. But basically, a lot of these first aid kits you can buy or your vet can give you the different layers that you can do. Um, sometimes having like a wireless uh, wireless clippers. So like if the dog goes through a barbed wire fence or whatever, and you're able to kind of clip the hair off a little bit so that you can clean it and kind of because the hair can hold a lot of bacteria. So some of these like beard trimmer or clippers is, is good to have. On Amazon now, you can order Quick Stop, which is the stuff that can stop like bleeding of their toenails or their feet. Um, it's a, basically a silver nitrate product that stops bleeding. Some people use cornstarch. Um, we use it all the time when we trim dogs' nails or whatever and they bleed. So you want that. Tweezers, latex gloves. Uh, and then, you know, a lot of times you can get some type of triple antibiotic ointment that's for skin. Then you can also get the same for eyes. Um, ear flush, eye flush, which is usually just type of, some type of saline type of product. Um, that all, that's stuff that's good to have in the truck. And then if you're out, you know, walking in areas where you might be, you know, walking for hour to three hours before you actually get back to your truck, you don't want to carry all that around. So usually you just want, um, bandage stuff at that point and, you know, a good Leatherman, I would say that that would get you probably back to the truck with what you need. Yeah, I, I have many times uh, come across situations where if we didn't have tools in our hunting vest, I don't know that we would have lost a dog, but it would have drastically changed the hunt. So appliers always. Um, and you did mention the the razor, and that was interesting. When I sewed Daisy up the first time, I didn't think about that. And then my vet, you know, when I was in there, she showed me, she's like, here's how you do it. This is the right way to do it. First, we're going to shave this whole area around here. And then, you know, she showed me how she 
sewed her up and I'm comfortable doing that. I think yeah. most people, I think most people really would be, um, you know, maybe you can go online and watch how you yep. sew a dog one time, but just that, I think you can get a razor now for 20 bucks or less. Yep. I mean, it, yeah. you don't need, or maybe you use one at home and you've got one that kind of burnt out and you can just throw it in your pack. Um, but I think also the, um, electrolytes, uh, not it might not come into play for your dog, but I've seen uh, multiple times where a dog has had seizures out in the field and, um, you know, having electrolytes there, that snack, that food. Um, but even, I believe we did Gatorade one time, uh, just to give the dog something to help out. I feel like having that little Ziploc bag with some dog snacks is also something that's important to bring in the field. Would you add anything to that? Yeah. So some people do like honey or caramel syrup or there's so many different electrolytes out there. And I'm actually starting to become a, a big fan of a lot of those. I mean, if you look at all the different products or different companies, the biggest thing you, that they have that you want is potassium, chloride, sodium, different forms of B12. And then now the newer ones have amino acids in it, which I like because that's, that can actually feed the muscles as they work. Um, there's so, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's even like one that I really like is called Nulo, um, which comes in like a little squirt bottle that you can just squirt right in their water bottle or their water dish that has all those and amino acids. And so it feeds the muscles and feeds the cells and, um, and I never, I used to always be just a big December, January, Kansas pheasant hunter. And now recently I've got into a lot of September grouse hunts where the water or the, the, the temperatures are, are just completely different to where I'm, I'm actually investing more money and time into a lot of these, these supplements and nutrients and all that stuff. So I'm a big fan of it. There's a lot out there. I think you just need to talk to your vet or just do your own research and what's, what's good, but it's, you know, if you can keep it to potassium chloride, sodium, some type of B12 amino acids, you're set. If somebody has an older dog that, you know, day two, day three, that dog is clearly just worn down um, in probably some pain from all the cuts and things that they've ran through over the previous couple of days that they hunt hard and they're just slow and um, they want to go, but yet they're just exhausted um, or in pain. Is there anything that you can give hunters to take with and say, you know, cut this pill in half and give them yeah. half of this after a day of hunting and it's going to help them out for the long term of a hunt. Yep. Yeah. So it'd be what works the best is all the different anti-inflammatories. So just like you and I would take Advil, ibuprofen, <laughs> Tylenol. Um, I don't recommend those in dogs. Some people say, oh, I give my dog a baby aspirin. I, I still avoid that because I've seen issues with it. But if you go to your vet, you know, there's lots of different anti-inflammatories that they can set you up with for your trip. So at the end of the day or the, the the morning, you can give, you know, half a tablet of Rimadil or Medicam, Prevacox, Duramax, a new one called Galaprant. I mean, there's all the different anti-inflammatories that we have. And your vet usually can set you up with, you know, a week's worth that you can have for the whole season and use as needed. But what's nice about doing that is you actually will see a big difference of how your dog is walking and acting and feel a lot better and they, they can go hunt again. And then when you get back that night, give them another tablet or half tablet, whatever the dose is. And it's, it's helping and you're, you're, you know, preventing arthritis as well. So I'm a big fan of that. Nice. Oh, that's great information. I hope people use it, especially if you're going to take a longer trip. 
and you want to maximize the trip. I mean, the reality is a lot of hunters, they take a week off in the fall and that's their big hunt of the season. So if your dog is worn out after day two and you're kind of bumming, you know, it's good to know that there are options out there to kind of extend that. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up with this. Last year, I was in Montana for the opener, September 1st, and there was a gentleman that came out. We didn't know him. We just ran into him uh, along the hunt, and he lost a dog that first day. And that dog was only hunting, or not even hunting. It was a day before season. And um, he said she was only out there for maybe 10 minutes in the field. It wasn't overly hot. It was like maybe 70, 72, something like that. She came back, just collapsed and died minutes later. Um, you know, is is that something that I, I feel like it's so uncommon, but it's possible? Um, you know, are there certain breeds that are more susceptible to running in the heat or certain things that could happen that maybe cause that, that we just don't know about or see in our dogs beforehand? Yeah, no, good question. So, um, you know, we talked about last time with labs, they have that genetic issue called EIC or exercise induced collapse. Um, doesn't always cause, it's not always fatal though, but with that type of situation, my, the first thing that comes to my mind was, did that dog have something preexisting that nobody knew about a heart issue? Um, I mean, just the list can go on and that's where a preseason checkup would be helpful. Or was it truly very hot? And while they're driving to the field, um, he didn't realize that this truck bed was, you know, very warm and he didn't have a fan or any ventilation. So the dog was already very hot before going hunting. That's, that's the first things that come to mind, but, um, there are some genetic issues. I mean, obviously labs compared to like your short hairs or whatever they have, um, much thicker coats and so they hold heat and don't get rid of heat as well and so that's a breed that you have to be very careful with um so yeah, yeah does that answer your question yeah I, I think so i mean there's so much that we we don't know we want we don't want to go into every day scared about things that could happen right um but i think exactly. your advice is solid in that you can go into a preseason checkup and you can learn a lot and I think that's a good rule for a lot of us getting ready to hunt. I think we'll close it with this and say, you know, at 95 degrees, you're not going to be pushing your dog too much. Um, you know, early morning, late at night, that's common sense for most people that want to yep. keep their dog in shape. And keeping your dog in shape can really do a lot as far as, uh, ex- you know, a dog that's out of shape is just like a human that's out of shape. It can lead to a lot of a lot of bad things. Um, you know, I, I think that speaks for itself. So keeping your dog in good shape, feeding them well, and getting a lot of exercise is great for you. It's great for the dog. And when hunting season rolls around, um, hopefully it helps to extend the amount of time that you can spend out there with your dog. We just have to be smart about it this time of the year. When in doubt, uh, ease up. And if you have any concerns, go talk to your vet, right? Yep. Yep. So, Wonderful. Jay, yeah. I appreciate you taking the time. I know you've got a lot going on at both of your clinics. Um, I I hope we can just keep in touch and yeah. continue to you know, bring up these topics. I appreciate you doing some of the research too on the medications out there. That yeah. is, is definitely of interest to a lot of our listeners, myself included, and my hunting buddies. So 
Thank you for everything you've got going on. Um, if people have questions for you specifically, can they reach out? I know you're in Colorado and they might be in, you know, Minnesota, Arizona, who knows where, but um, is there, is that an option? Yeah, our, yeah, our company website, is, uh, that's how, if you just go to our website and you can email me from there, I get those all the time. So that's what happened last time. It, it worked well. So, okay. Perfect. Yeah. I all eventually right. one of these days I might get a Instagram or get back on Facebook, but right now I have <laughs> a lot of other things to do. <laughs> yeah. so. Life flies by and, yep. and if you can stay off of social media, Hey, good, good on you, my friend. <laughs> yep. So, and the thing I was trying to say earlier is the solution for pollution is dilution. So that's the key. If you go to the vet, I uh, fumbled that around, but that's the term we like to use. So. <laughs> nice. You, you nailed it when it counted. Yeah, good. <laughs> the solution yeah. for pollution is dilution. dilution. Yep. There we go. We'll, we'll end on that. Uh, we have episodes, as I remind you, every week airing right now on the Outdoor Channel. Um, I'm not exactly sure what's airing right now, but we hope you enjoy it and we hope you take the time uh, to introduce someone new to the field whenever you have a chance, even if it's training season right now. They get to watch a dog work and that's pretty cool. So uh, I'm Travis Frank on behalf of everyone here at The Flush. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. 